In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. If you believe that you've trusted Christ so you can kind of get out of hell and all that, I'm not judging that. What I am saying is God wants you to give up yourself. He wants you to be ready and willing to give up yourself for your kids, for your wife. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with my good buddy, producer of this show, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good, bud. Oh, I'm, I'm excited for you. Hey, I'm really excited about our guest today. He's one of those guys I just know going in, it's going to be an easy interview. He and I become, we're becoming fast friends. He's got a cool ministry that really dials in on fathering. And what you may not know, Dale... At Iron Sharpens Iron Conferences, the number one most requested seminar topic is fathering. And that is what this guy focuses on, and he's an expert in this area. He's got kids on his own. I think he's got two adopted sons as well. Two adopted or one, Kent? A uh, grand total of five, three through birth, and two through the miracle of adoption. There you go. There you go. So, hey, guys, before we jump into the podcast, we want to get you over to our website. Make sure you get a free copy of my newest book, Guts and Manhood for Irrefutable Attributes of Courage. And guys, remember, keep writing those reviews. Keep sending us your hero stories. We love to put you on a, a platform and celebrate what God is doing in your life. And so I want to turn it over to Dale, who will give me a man word for today. This is so not novella. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to guess no, you're not. It. I'm going to guess it. nothing to do with yes, this. Yes, I am. Tools. Is it starts tools? with a T and it is teachable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, isn't it though? So, isn't it though? So what's, Would what's you up rather with that? sit in a what's room up? full of men who are teachable or a bunch of men who think they got it figured out and they don't have need to listen to anything you say? Well, we had Scotty Kessler on our podcast a couple months ago and he talked about Fat C, finding men who are faithful, available, teachable, and competent. So I think teachability is huge, and I think leaders are learners. And so if you're a father, you need to be reading. Readers are leaders are readers, leaders are learners. So I'm a huge fan of being teachable. So um, yeah, man, that's a great. Well, it's word. like you know when when you uh, hire somebody and they come into your organization, and the first thing they want to do is teach you how to do what you do better. <laughs> Instead of oh, is that a hypothetical? Is that a totally hypothetical? hypothetical. Dale's of, asking for a friend. <laughs> No, yeah, I know. Well, what I love is when people, hey, Kent, do you ever have this, man? How many times a week do you have people come and tell you what you need to do, but they don't know how to do it? Uh, well, if I the, had a dollar last for everybody told me that. The last one was 48 hours ago. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's it's so easy for, it's like, like that's the whole Teddy Roosevelt speech. You know, it's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. I, I'm so sick and tired of guys telling me what needs to happen without giving me an answer. Give me an answer. And they're you know, not that, doing anything. Kind of a, no, and they're not willing to. They just want to tell you, you know, where you're failing. So, But, you know, the cool thing about your ministry, Kent, that I really appreciate is you're the guy who comes along and you say to the, the fathers, we're going to give you the how-to. I love that. You're, we're going to give you the tools. We're going to put them in your tool belt. 
you're going to become a better father. So I appreciate that, man. So before I get you on, Kent, Dale, do you have a review or a hero story? <laughs> yeah, you're going us? way off script as if Kent's our. Oh, I'm. I'm. I was into rant. Well, land. you're acting like Kent's like a good friend or something, and he's a family member, and he's already in our space here. So, yeah, let me finish here with the review. <laughs> I actually just saw this this morning on Facebook. Uh, this guy Gary from Colorado, and it's not your McCusker. Uh, he says I'm about three quarters finished with the pre-release version. And Jim Ramos has nailed it. I only wish I had been oh, cool. taught like this as a young Christian 60 years ago. You must read this, then put Jim's teaching into action ASAP. So, Gary, thanks so for he's that. Talking about, he's, he's talking about our newest book, Strong yes. Men, Dangerous Times. Five essentials every man must possess to change his world. And so that book is available now. But we're not doing a hard push for that book for a couple months because we're looking on some other things. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that review, Gary. Send us your address, and we will definitely send you some swag. So, and Dale and I, uh, to Dale and I, swag is a plural word. So we'll send you some stuff. So, sweet. Hey, man, I want to bring my good friend on the podcast. I don't know what you're talking about, Dale. He is a good friend, and he is family, so... Uh, I'm going to bring my new friend, who is a good friend, Kent Evans, on here. You might remember that name. We had him on. We had him on our show uh, in 2020 about his book, Wise Guys. Uh, he is 50 years old, lives in Louisville, Kentucky, with his beautiful wife of a quarter century, April Evans. Kent is the executive director and co-founder of Manhood Journey, a ministry that helps fathers become disciple makers. He's appeared on television, radio, web outlets, and podcasts spoken to numerous parenting and men's events so today we're here to talk about his newest booklet it's called survival gear seven must-have tools every man needs for his journey and the cool thing about this booklet is it's attached to some other tools to bring a man full circle and to fully equip a man so it's not just a, a, a it's i call it a booklet because it's only about i don't know 35 pages but it gives you some very succinct tools, and then it links you back to other tools and resources and organizations that will help you in this manhood journey with you and your kids. So, Kent, it's great to have you on the show again, brother. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to be here. And on the off chance, you know, you said before we went live that you're just feeling kind of like you're ready to rant today. We could just switch the whole show and just <laughs> rant about stuff. I mean, just pick a topic. Pick a topic. Well, the pro the problem was was when I rant is it feels good on the front end, on the back end I got to go fix a bunch yeah, of stuff. Exactly. So I f I find that ranting is not good, and I'm trying to personally address some uh, anger issues that have surfaced lately. So uh, I'm uh, trying to not go off and rant, right. land. So so just uh, keep me on the reservation, buddy. <laughs> Ranting's like eating sugar. Eating sugar. Oh, it, tastes, buddy. it tastes good at the moment, but later you pay for it. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say it's like eating Doritos potato chips. You're like, this is wonderful. And then at the end, you're like, dang, what happened to me? Anyway, so we're going to avoid that, and I'm going to get over myself because I'm a, I'm a little uh, nothing in this Grand Kingdom drama. But, hey, what I'm going to do, buddy, is I want to throw you in. To, well, first of all, let's do this. I know we've done this before, but I want you to share your personal life, uh, things that make you tick, things you enjoy. Just give our people some backstory yeah. on you. Yeah, sure. So I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. It's where I grew up. I'm 50, so I've lived here my whole life. Uh, I love my lovely wife. We've been married 25 years. And, you know, this may sound a little too common, but uh, the thing I like to do the most right now is hang out with my boys because I, I know those days go fast. I have a one in college now who's already married. And so I know those those days go really fast that you can hang out with them. I still have one one left who will who will come up in my lap during prayer time and hang out with dad. Uh, and I know that those days are numbered. So I love hanging out yeah. with my family. I do enjoy reading, although I got to be honest, the last couple of years, I've gotten to where I'm, I might get through maybe 10 books a year, plus or minus 10 or 12. And that, that feels like about 32 few for me. Like I, I need more input, uh, but I don't carve the time out for it like I should. Uh, so that's one of my 2021 changes. I've already gone through about three or four books this year. So I'm trying to pick up the pace a little bit on uh, reading, but I love, I love what I do for a living. I enjoy the manhood journey stuff. I love writing. I enjoy web stuff and all that. So uh, every day I get to kind of do what I like to do. Well, and I would just say, man, you've got kids in the home. You're in the middle of a stress bubble. I, I would say don't beat your up, 
don't beat yourself up too much on the reading. I mean, I'm able to read all yeah, the time because I, I don't have a lot of people in the house uh, anymore. So, and my wife's a flight attendant, so people are, I'm alone quite often. So I do. I read 17 books so far this year, but I but I I don't have kids in the Whoa, house. Oh man, it's only like it's only like March 4th. Well, I'm kind of into this. I mean, uh, take it easy. Well, here's the deal, buddy. Here's the deal. I've realized that for the last 55 years, the 30 years of ministry, I've never been motivated by money. I've never really cared about money. I've let people kind of direct me and how to invest my money. And I've realized uh, we'll probably do some podcasts on this that I realize I have a, the 401ks, the 503bs, the Roth IRAs really have not served me well, quite frankly. So I'm reading a lot of books right now on making investments and investing in other things. And uh, it's been really, really fun. So I've read like five books on money in the last week and a half, two weeks, maybe. So that's where I'm at. Nice. But I've, I'm able to do that because I don't have kids in the home. You know, you've got yeah. kids in the home, buddy. Yeah. You've got to be You've got to be really disciplined with your stuff. And I will say this, though. My kids are uh, 23, 25, and 27, and it's really fun, man. Uh, your ministry, the, man, the manhood journey, if fathers do this right and they transition their young sons, their sons and daughters into adulthood, my sons, I'm going duck hunting with my boys this weekend. We're planning a, uh, a, 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 sh a squirrel shooting trip and turkey hunting trip later. I mean, they have become my hunting buddies, my best friends. And uh, I think if a guy does it right, that that is what transcends good parenting, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you, I mean, you're a great parent, and uh, uh, but yeah, don't beat yourself up over the book reading, man. <laughs> I won't. Well, and a quick story. I won't take long. I know we got an agenda, but <clears throat> you talk about your your sons being your friends. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I decided to try to get my wife back out and do some snow skiing. And after about maybe 90 minutes, no lie, we'd already bought two days worth of rentals, two days worth of lift tickets, the whole bit. After about 90 minutes, she was back in the hotel, uh, warming her feet by our really tiny gas fireplace at the hotel. And I realized I'm going to need to condition my boys to become my ski buddies because yeah. my wife is now officially out. She's done skiing until we get to heaven. <laughs> Well, in, the he in that's heaven, it's in heaven, it's barefoot skiing, so that's glorious. But yeah, I hear you. Exactly. Well, that's the thing: investing in your kids and and uh, pulling them along with you, and and I think that's cool, man. Hey, but I want to jump into your book, this survival gear. Uh, I really enjoyed that book, and uh, it had some great tools. And uh, let's we just want to highlight that book and highlight your ministry. And I want to do that first by throwing you into our rapid fire round. Are you ready for this? Ooh. Don't get I don't nervous. Know. Don't get nervous. I'm so too I'm late. Gonna, I'm you can't gonna, <laughs> say rapid fire and then say don't get nervous. I feel I mean, like come on, man. I kind of feel like you're always nervous, though. <laughs> you're like me, man. We just live our lives nervous. We're just like always <laughs> high alert. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you four pitches, and you're gonna hit four out of the park home runs with each pitch because these uh, are from your book, and I want you to explain what these mean. Because I think all of us, you know, you call your ministries called the manhood journey, which implies that yeah. we're on a journey and we're at different stages Indeed. in our journey. So I want you to unlock, you've, you've unpacked four stages and uh, you've got some cool stuff and resources that point to men in each of those four stages. And so let's talk about what those stages look like for a man. So men, you are one of these guys. And, and I don't I don't know if there's cross-pollination here. Maybe they could be one in one area and one another. But let's start here. Stage one, new traveler. What does that mean? Essentially, the new traveler is the guy who is on the fatherhood journey, but he probably feels ill-equipped. He probably feels like he has a child, but he, he's not quite sure he is uh, really a dad yet, if you can embrace the irony there. Uh, I remember when our son came home from the hospital and I thought, wow, they just let you take this thing home. That's amazing. Uh, and so I think a lot of guys are there where they have kids in the home, but they're still learning how to be a dad. They want to, they have the intention, but they are very early in the journey. And that's to some degree, all of us in one area or another. So let me ask you this question, Kent. So when I think of new traveler, would you, would this be the bio dad who hasn't been around at all and is wanting to engage? Or what about the guy who's recently divorced? You know, 50% of children from divorce won't see their dad for a year. Uh, who, 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 which, which kind of guys would you lump into this category? Yeah, I would generally say there are inflection points for men. And uh -huh. um, one, one of the inflection points, uh, not for men, but for dads. So one of the inflection points is when your wife gets pregnant or you have your first baby or you adopt your first child and, and you realize all of a sudden, wow, um, not only now do I have this wife I'm walking through life with, I now have this child to lead. Uh, 
and you start to for that moment that's the moment when you realize there's there's more at stake than just your own preferences you probably realize this when you got married but it takes on a very fresh meaning when you start having kids come into the home so i would say the new traveler uh, is the guy who is it's dawning on him it's dawning on him that being a father is really important and something he wants to take seriously Okay, you made a statement and you rolled right over it like it was nothing, but I need to stop and go back to it because you said something very powerful. I don't know if you said it, if you know you said it. You said, this guy is saying, I now have a child to lead. You did not say, I now have a child to raise. Why did you choose that word lead and not raise? I remember when my leadership paradigm uh, shifted about mm, maybe 20 years ago, 18, I was doing a Bible study on um, Samuel. <clears throat> and one thing about Samuel in the Bible that you notice a lot is when trouble happened, um, he looked to God. So in other words, he was the, the, the Western paradigm for leadership is when I say you're leading, a lot of us think of like a CEO or a teacher or a preacher up on stage behind a pulpit or lectern looking at the people that he's quote unquote leading. That's not a good, healthy paradigm that is, I don't think that's quite as accurate as the paradigm of imagine that same person up on stage, if they were to turn around 180 degrees and all you saw was the back of their head and they were looking at God that is a better picture of leadership. And so when I think of my own kids, I don't think of managing or directing or training as much as I think, am I as the dad headed toward God? Can they see my backside as I'm headed into worship, as I'm headed into service, as I'm headed into stewardship? Can they see that? And that's why I guess the knee jerk for me is to think about leading, not about raising. So Kent, do you think that God has placed certain mantles upon a man and certain different mantles on a woman? In other words, these are natural. They're not cultural. They're not learned, but natural mantles upon each. Do you, do you, do you think that is true, or do you have a different paradigm? Yeah, I think when you look at the Gospels, Jesus called God our Father more than 160 times, depending on the translation that you look at. And I think it's really remarkable when you compare that to how often he was called the father in the Old Testament, which was basically almost never. never. <laughs> There's almost no never. references. Never. Uh, and, and so yeah. there, what's interesting about that is, so then, so then on earth, when I become a father, kind of whether I like it or not, some dads have asked me, how do I disciple my kids? And I said, too late, you already are. Uh, yeah. and the issue is we're always discipling the people who are following us. The only question is unto what, unto what? So yeah, I definitely think that there are uh, roles that we step into as men that we need to take super seriously. And clearly, I think that the Bible speaks very articulately about the different roles between a father and a mother, and they're not at all superior or inferior. They're just different. And I think the character of God is fully revealed in both the person of the dad and the mom in that family context in a way that it's not revealed in a lot of other contexts. Um, I have a friend who just had a baby. He had his first uh, child and uh, just a few weeks old. And we were talking about how sometimes it is so hard to appreciate certain things about God the Father mm -hmm. until you are a dad, until you are a dad. Um, and then when you become a dad, you realize, wow, you can love somebody else this much. And then you realize you can be this angry with one of your own children. You know, you realize a lot of things yeah. about being a dad once you are one. No, that's so good. So the reason I was asking this mantle question is I'm just wondering, if you look at a man's body and a woman's body, you know, men are utilitarian. We really are built to function. Where if you look at a woman's body, they have fire, higher fat levels. They're curvy. They've got a perfect place to rest the kids on their hips. And, and I'm wondering if men, a mantle that God has naturally placed on a man is to lead, and a mantle God has naturally placed on a woman is to raise. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm saying I'm wondering. Yeah. Well, I think I heard a guy say one time, in fact, Mike Fabrez out on the West Coast, he has a book called Raising Men, Not Boys. And <clears throat> the book's great. Go read it. But 
you can get a vast majority of the idea right from his very well chosen title. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Raising men, not boys. I am not raising kids. That's not what I'm doing. I am preparing men for future service. Yep. Now, again, again, I can't do it all. And, you know, even God had everything perfectly right in the Garden of Eden and his kids still rebelled. So I don't want to pretend that everything I do turns to gold and all my kids have never stepped off the path. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But what I do want uh, is I want guys to hear um, it, you won't be accountable. God's not going to ask you when you get to heaven, hey, why'd your 30 year old kid decide to quit that job? I mean, that's not your problem after they leave the home. What he is going to ask you is, you know, where were you when they were 13? And what did you teach them when they were eight? And what did yeah. you try to talk to them about when they were 17? Those are the things where I'm going to be accountable. So I, I desperately want to lead. And, and I believe with all my heart that the best way I can lead is simply to be pursuing God. Second Timothy 2.22, pursue righteousness. If I'm pursuing righteousness and my kids see my backside as I'm doing that, I think that it turns out pretty well, or at least is at least I'll feel um, like I'm ready to answer well, the question. Well, Second Timothy two four says these things you've heard in the presence of witnesses. These things entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also, and that's what we're doing as fathers with our sons. Right? We are raising faithful men. So I really do appreciate. Oh man, that, man. just 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 in the last couple of weeks, I had a. <clears throat> a really interesting conversation with my 21 year old son. And after I, I want to go into all the details, it's kind of a current political hot button. Um, but bottom line is as I got off the call with him, I thought, <clears throat> man, that kid can think like, I mean, he, he really can reason things out in a way that I think is biblical and intelligent and honest. And I thought, man, awesome. His mom did a great job. <laughs> oh man. Well, there's no, yeah, it's a, uh, don't sell yourself short, brother. <laughs> no, it's just a joy. I, I it's know. a joy yeah. when your kids transition, and as your kids have, into that young adult stage where you can start to reason with tough things and life can hit them and they can process life and you go, man, I know that didn't work out perfectly, but I'm really proud of how you walked through that. Way to go. Like, they're running buddies now. Well, another thing that guys need to think about, and guys, listen up. Your kids may not be where you want them to be right now, but if you are faithful, you continue to close the gap between them and you they will come around I, my oldest son had a wild he had a wild ride in college uh, produced our granddaughter who we love but you know my son called me up he goes dad i need your help he goes i'm really serious about this i need your help and i go what's up buddy what's going on you know he's 27 he'll be 28 next week he said i'm reading the bible every night and i just need you every night to remind me i'm like bro you want me to remind you he's like dad please so every night I text him three, these three initials, R-Y-B, read your Bible. And he puts, he, he loves it all the time. So, you know, but it's that coming back going, hey, you know what? These guys are going to come full circle. If we do what we need to do, they will come full circle. And and if they don't, that's not on us. We've done the best we can. So, uh, hey, so let's look at stage two. Stage two, a guy moves from a new traveler to a capable navigator. Talk to me. Well, I remember the first time that I went to a foreign, not first time I went to a foreign country. First time I went to uh, France, I had a job that took me to Europe a lot. And the first time I went to Paris, France, um, there's this machine where you need to buy your ticket to get on the train to get from the airport to where I needed to go. And uh, the first time I went, I didn't realize that there was a button on there that would allow you to translate everything into English. That would <laughs> help. This little button. And if, if you scroll it just right, you can pick English. And all of a sudden, everything makes sense. And so I spent probably an hour in the airport trying to figure out how to buy the right train ticket because I didn't know one simple thing about the machine. All of a sudden, that machine made sense to me once I got it to English and I could see the names of the places in English. And I'm like, got it. Now I can work my way around Paris. For a lot of us dads, there are things that happen early in our fatherhood that are, that are kind of that simple. Uh, it's this idea, for example, Jim, you were putting your finger on raising versus leading. Yes. When we realize, hey, man, my job is to head toward God. I'm going to let the chips fall. 
wow, it takes a lot of pressure off uh, as a dad. And so the capable navigator is the dad who's figured out a few things about fatherhood. They're not going to go around and give fatherhood uh, seminars, but they are at a place where they're like, I do understand that the reason I read my Bible every day is not because I want my kids to catch me doing it. It's because I need the nourishment that it gives me as a dad. And I, I have to live out of overflow. And if I'm not overflowing into the lives of my kids, what am I doing? The capable navigator starts to figure that stuff out and they start to feel like hey man I know I know my way around I finally got to a place Jim where <clears throat> I could go to Paris and I could get my way around um, and I didn't even need to translate the machine into English anymore I knew it that well uh, that I could work my way around the metro I knew what zone one two and three meant I knew that the office was in zone three that I was staying in zone one I knew all that stuff and once I knew that stuff it could go into almost the subconscious mode where then I could focus on other so things what value do older men have in helping younger fathers navigate? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, let's not divert ourselves onto my 2016 book, Wise Guys, because that's all yeah, totally. that book is about. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. For me, um, I just heard it again recently. Um, people tend to we, – we, we live 70, 80, 90 years on earth, Lord willing, and we think – we think – we're figuring out a lot of things about the human condition for the yeah. very first time, for the very first time, because it's our lifetime. However, however, <clears throat> it's really not. I need, I need a second. I'm going to find Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is essentially like if you read Psalm 2 and you don't see the year 2021 in it, then I think you're asleep at the wheel. And what's interesting for me is the people who've gone before us, both in scripture and also in our own neighborhoods are people who can help us. But listen to what Psalm two says, verse one, why do the nations rage? <laughs> What's going yeah. on right now? Why do the, and the peoples and the peoples plot in vain. Listen to this. The Kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. What do we have happening right now with the leaders of our major media outlets oh, yeah. in our country? They're, they're basically colluding together. I don't, I don't mean even in a negative way. I think they all think they're doing the right thing and they're trying to control what's happening in our culture. There's like four or five of them whose names we all know. Listen to this. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds and cast their cords away from us. This is written yeah. thousands of years ago. Psalm two. There's nothing new under the sun. And if you think all of your fatherhood challenges are brand new and you're the first guy to ever experience them, get real and find them. Literally get over yourself and get help. There are so many guys out there who want to help younger guys. We just sometimes don't know where to look. So <clears throat> very powerful. So the capable navigator, man. So stage three is the road warrior. <laughs> the cool thing about the road warrior stage is you're, you're at the stage of, of competency where you can then start to do some more different things. I, I, let's look, let's look at the game of chess. I love the game of chess. I'm not great at it. Uh, but I love the game of chess because the first thing you have to do is you have to learn the board set up and then you yeah. got to learn how these pieces move because they all move in different ways. And it's kind of weird. <clears throat> and, and before you know it, you're, you're having to remember that the night goes to one, one, two, you know, Oh, he can jump over people. The, the pawn can't jump over people. You, you start to figure out all these things. And then once you know how the pieces move, you can start worrying about game strategy. And you can start, as my college roommate, Eddie, taught me, he was a like A-level chess player. We, if we played 100 times, he beat me 100. My only victory was like the last eight or 10, he had to think. <laughs> but but he, I mean, he still yeah. beat me. I never beat him. But he had, to, he had to actually try. And what he taught me was the great chess players think anywhere from five yes. to 20 yep. moves ahead. They're processing, they're processing everything they're going to do and how their opponent's going to react and vice versa. And they're always three, five, eight, 10, 12 moves ahead. Think of the math possibilities there. As a dad, when we get competent, we can start to worry about game strategy. And that gets into communication and discipleship and friend selection and technology and all these other problems we have. Uh, it's fun. The game gets fun once you get past the the raw fundamentals and you're still trying to figure out uh i sat one time at a washington nationals baseball game with a, a friend of mine who was a colleague who was from france and it's the first time he'd ever watched a baseball game 
And so the whole time I'm trying to explain baseball to uh, this Frenchman who's brilliant. I mean, he's a really smart guy. He didn't have any intellectual gaps. But the game of baseball is like the dumbest game ever when you try to explain it to somebody for the very first time. Why are there four bases? How come they run to the right? Do they score a run every time they hit a base? Well, how come there are three outs? How many pitches does he get? Why is one team called defense? Why is one team called offense? How come there's not more players on the field? Wow, what's an infield fly? Are you kidding me? What's a bunt? It's crazy. And so for the dad who becomes the road warrior, welcome to the fun yeah. part of the game. Because now we're not still just trying to figure out how to change diapers and you know, not lose our children at the mall. Uh, we're, we're able to do things a little more fun, a little more complex. And that's when I think so it gets Ken, a little more interesting. I was just thinking as you were talking here. So is it possible for a guy who's a new father, who was raised by a great father, who has a great heritage... Is it possible for that guy to enter into a latter stage, like a stage two or three, or does that guy go new traveler, capable navigator, ward warrior, tour guide? How how does how does that work and how does that play out? Is it a, a thing that compounds upon the next, or can a guy jump in somewhere without even knowing it? Yeah, I definitely think that our backgrounds and our experiences uh, do prepare us to hit the ground running as a father yeah, or not exactly or not. And so I'll get, I'll give you a good example. When my wife and I got married, <clears throat> I would say I brought a lot of uh, spiritual and emotional and maturity related baggage into our marriage that she did not. She did not. I don't want to say she's perfect, but what I, unless she's hearing this, in which case, <laughs> honey, you are absolutely perfect. <clears throat> um, she could be overhearing me. She's not far away. Uh, but what I do think is really important about that is that um, it one of the advantages that uh, our our kids have, again, I am not a perfect dad. I'm sure that neither you nor Dale are perfect. Uh, I'm not I don't want to pr- present myself as perfect and I don't want to suggest that the objective Correct. is to be a perfect dad. However, if we however, if we are intentional and if we are striving, toward a godly version of fatherhood, I do think it's possible to reduce the amount of drag and baggage our kids walk into their own marriages with, which allows them to speed through the earlier stages much, much faster. So, okay, so Kent, I, so guy goes from new traveler to capable navigator to road warrior, and he may pass through those stages faster based on his parenting slower if he has possibly poor parenting or poor choices, right? So stage four is the tour guide. Now, I got to tell you this, confession time, uh, I went and took an assessment that you offer online, and I came up with a stage three guy. I thought I'd be stage four. So, I mean, what's the tour guide and why am I not there? <laughs> well, what we try to do is we try to break out the assessment into some different buckets. And we might dive into this in a moment, but like trusting God, knowing scripture, praying fervently, et cetera, where there's categories. So, you know, in a, in a, I use a sports metaphor, you know, in baseball, you might be a great hitter. You may be a great runner and a solid fielder or an average fielder. And so all that gets kind of averaged out in the background. You, you might have scored yourself too harshly. Uh, might have been the reason why you didn't hit stage four. Essentially, the tour guide is the guy that uh, we went to Costa Rica one time on a family vacation, and uh, we were we would decided to go zip lining. And I'm not a big fan of heights; like I do not like being up high. However, <clears throat> I heard if you go to Costa Rica and you don't go zip lining, you know that's like going to Disney World and not seeing Mickey Mouse. So uh, we went to Costa Rica. We get on the we go to the zip line. At the time, I had all five of my sons with me and my wife. And my youngest son, Titus, was, uh, let me see, he'd have been three or four, I think three or four. And I said, does he get to go? And they're like, oh, yeah, we got a little baby harness. They put a little baby harness on him and a helmet that was too big. And so we get ready to go off the first um, sort of drop. And you don't really drop. You just kind of walk off. But then you find out <laughs> in about 20 seconds, you're 400 feet above the tree line. That's interesting. Yeah, been but there. The guy gets on there. The guy gets on there. His name is Hido. And Hido looks back and says, I take the baby. And my wife and I look at each other and we hand our little pride and joy four years old to this random Costa Rican and he straps them on and boom, they're gone. And, and it was a little foggy. So like 30 feet out, we don't see either one of them anymore. All you hear is the of them going across the line. And I thought, oh my goodness, 
what have we just done? We just gave our child. I don't even know who's on the other end of the wire. Like, <laughs> I can't get on this wire. Dude, it was nuts. It was nuts. But it was a blast, right? We had so much fun. And part of the reason we had so much fun was because the two guys, Heido and I can't remember the other guy's name. We had two Heidos and then a third guy. Um, they were our tour guide. And, and in the tour guide, you place all of your trust, uh, all of your hope, all of your faith, all of your life, you know, you're like really trusting this guy. And so I don't want to oversell it. You know, we're not to place our hope in men. Psalm 101. Yeah. We're not supposed to place our hope in men. But having said that, boy, I sure love going through the motions with someone who has gone through those motions before. Absolutely. Uh, going back to my first story about going back to my first story about the about first trip to, to Paris. After I got to the hotel, I met up with Frederick Morency, and Frederick had grown up in France his entire life, spent half of it in Paris. From that point forward, I didn't need to navigate anymore. Frederick navigated and I just did what he said. And so he was my tour guide for the rest of my time in Paris, first trip, un, uh, up until the point where I was giving out directions. You know, six months later, I'm the one giving people directions. And so for us as dads, the question is, are we taking our tour guide responsibilities uh, in, seriously, both in our own children as they hit their their twenties, but also other dads. Hey, dad, listen, if you're out there and you're 40, 45, 50, 55, 35, and you've been at this game a bit and you can field the ground balls and you know what an infield fly is for dads, go find some other dads and start pouring into them. They need it. They need it. Go be the tour guide. Now that's really powerful, man. I really do appreciate that. And and I want to, you know, you talk about tour guides. These tour guides give our give us tools that we need, right? And so, let's let's talk about that some more. We in your book now is this book? A, I can't I can't remember. Is this book a free book? The Survival Gear book? Yeah, it's a free uh, it's a free ebook. You can just head over to uh, manhoodjourney.org, and we'll have one of those kind of annoying pop ups that offers to trade that book for your email address. Have at it. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a free download today, and that's what I appreciate about you. Can't you're you're kind of I we kind of we are very similar in the fact that money's not a motivator for us. We just want to help guys, and so I appreciate that you're giving a, a this booklet out to guys, and guys can head over and grab that book. But on page four of that book, you said this, and this is crucial. As fathers, we need to know where we are, where we are going, and then we need the tools and resources to survive the journey. What's more, we're taking a family along with us. Again, we're leading, not raising. And beyond that, we might be mentoring other dads, helping them along in their journey. So let's do this, man. We got about a half an hour left. Let's unpack these seven tools. And so uh, uh, I want to know, you know, why this tool and what does it mean to men? All right. So tool number one, I have a feeling that it's strategically placed as number one because you've already mentioned it. But tool number one, uh, you said, if you're headed down the path being a godly dad, you won't get too far without something guiding your direction. You're going to need a true north. I love that. True north. And then you say, trusting God is the first tool you need in your pack. So give us... You know, give us this, why trusting God, number one, and why is it so important to have a true north when we're navigating? If anybody's ever been, <clears throat> well, if you've ever tried to go anywhere, if you ever tried to go anywhere, <clears throat> you know that you need some kind of navigational bearings. Uh, so if I say, hey, man, go to New York. And then you go, okay, well, in your case, you're going to have to go due east. Yeah. In my case, I got to go northeast. If I'm talking to my friend Simon in Kenya, he's got to go northwest and hop a really big body of water. And so what's really important for us is to have some kind of navigational north. And what we know is everything in this life is going to shift and move on us. Yeah. Uh, so if you're trying to use money or sex or power or fame or influence or your good looks or your physical abilities as your true north you know, best of luck, right? Because at the end of the day, that stuff's going to shift. And some at some point, that stuff's going to become unreliable. God himself, God himself is the only one we can trust. And I go back to that Psalm. I think it's Psalm 101, three or four. I may be wrong. That could be no worthless thing before my eyes. But there's a Psalm that talks about, I will not trust in man, in princes. I will trust only only in God. And so we like to use physical metaphors for these seven tools because it helps men think in terms of practical, concrete examples. And the tool I would use, the metaphor I'd use here is a compass. Yes. You, you need some kind of uh, navigational 
uh, tool that helps you know true north. And and I think here's the here's for me the danger, Jim, in starting with trusting God is guys are kind of yawning and they're going, oh yeah, oh, yeah, trust God, got you. What's second? Well, I, I I don't mind that. I don't. Okay, we can move on. But but the question is, are we really really doing that? Are we really? I mean, you know, deep down, are we really trusting God? So Kent, here's the deal, buddy. The, I agree with you. Some of these guys are yawning right now because they don't get it. So, guys, here's the question. I know that you're listening to this podcast. You probably think you're a Christian. Most of the guys listening to our podcast would say they are, but that means nothing in America. The question is, have you trusted God with your life? Does he have your finances? Does he have your heart? Does he have your Sunday mornings? Does he have you? So let's throw out this, I'm a Christian garbage, it's hogwash. I don't ever use that phrase anymore, Kent, because it's it's too generic. I ask guys, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? So Kent, what's the difference between a Christian and a guy who trusts Jesus? <laughs> uh, man, that's a great question. Well, I mean, it's the, it's the reality of it, right? The guys aren't yawning now. <laughs> when, when, I was, when I was starting Manhood Journey, uh, I think we just barely started our 501c3 application. Like we were, we were really, really young in the nonprofit game and we still are, but we were younger even than we are now. And, um, I was sitting across the table from, I don't like to name drop, but if this, this is a name, a lot of folks would recognize. I was sitting across the table from a guy and he had been at the ministry game 25 years and was in his sixties and was way ahead of me down the road. And he just goes, you know what I want to do? I want to tell you, go for it, man. I got your back. I'm going to be praying for you. And he goes, and that's all true. He goes, but I really want to ask you, have you looked in scripture at what happens to people who trust God? <laughs> and, he, and he was not kidding. He was in his 60s and he didn't. And he goes, look, <clears throat> and this is true. He goes, odds are this is the only time you and I will be face to face this side of heaven. And and he's probably right. He lives in Europe and um and I said, okay, I'm listening to you. And he said, most of the people, most of the people, he goes, and I'm just saying that in case there's one I don't know about. I think the answer is actually all who trusted God with their life by earthly measures, their life got harder and harder and harder and harder. And then they died. And then they died. If they weren't killed. Um, he got, and, well, and that was his point is that the apostles were martyred. Jesus died, et cetera, et cetera. And so his point was, are you ready to embrace the call, the call? Um, he goes, he goes, you live in America, right? And he's, he's not American. And I, I said, yeah. And he goes, you got two cars? And I said, yeah. And he said, you got a house? And I said, uh-huh. He goes, two and a half kids, picket fence. And, he, and we laughed. He goes, are you ready for some of that to be taken from you? If some of that gets taken from you, are you still going to stick with manhood journey? And, I, and you, know how to, you know what I told him? I said, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I, th I think so. I know the right answer. Like, I understand what this test is, and I know I'm supposed to say, like, A, I get how to pass the test, but I don't know. And he goes, well, you're going to figure that out. You're going to figure that out. Yeah, and so yeah. I say this to say, hey, guys, if you believe that you've trusted Christ so you can kind of get out of hell and all that, um, I I'm not judging that. What I am saying is uh, God wants you to give up yourself. Yep. He wants, you know, uh, he wants you to be willing be ready and willing to give up yourself for your kids, for your wife, uh, and for those around you. And so, you know, for those who are trusting God, let's go. Let's go, man. What's next? Yeah, I think if you're ready to embrace Christ, you need to also ask this question. Am I ready to embrace death, suffering, and persecution? And we're in a bipolar, we're in a polarized country, and it's coming. It's coming. So, so yeah. I, I, th I, well, I firmly believe— And, and oh. Jim, if you don't—sorry, I just if you don't mind, I just want to say one quick thing about— this idea of a compass, this idea of a compass. Um, we've all heard those stories of the Bermuda Triangle where a plane flies in and then it's never heard from and it disappears and all that. And the, the, the gravitational forces and the magnetism of certain parts of the world that we kind of all wonder, gosh, is there something going on magnetically that causes compasses not to work in certain parts of the world? Um, that's what our culture does to guys. Uh, so, for example, money, sex, power, sports, yeah. fame, you name it. These are magnetic forces 
They are magnetic forces that are trying to get the needle of our compass to give us a false reading on what true north is. So, yep. men, we got to have a direct north, and we got to have it anchored down. Well, and really, I mean, you use uh, the 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 compass as your tool for your illustration for tool number one but really it could just as easily be for tool number two which i don't know how a guy could trust god without tool number two which is knowing scripture i think a lot of dads think that knowing scripture is the domain of uh, priests and pastors and youth leaders and camp directors and christian school principals and um man you know what hey dad if you're a dad guess who your guess who the primary theologian is in your house it's you, man. Yep. It's you. And don't call me and don't email me with this whole, well, my wife's better at scripture than me. Then catch up. Seriously. I mean, for real. Seriously. Catch up. Because at the end of the day, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have got to be like the Bible answer, man. Heck, I took a Bible quiz today. No joke. I'm writing a uh, a new ebook, and I and in order to write some of it, I was talking about your knowledge of Scripture, and I took a Bible quiz today, and I only got 12 out of 20. It was pretty embarrassing. But I mean, they wanted to know things like, you know, who had whose name was mentioned most often in Scripture. Was it Rachel or Sarah or Mary? And I'm like, come on, really? Do I got to know that? But the point was, I got a 12 out of 20. Uh, bottom line, and so I am a Bible quiz failure. But uh, your kids are going to ask you. Your kids are going to ask you to help them interpret scripture, but they're, they're almost never going to say it like that. Yeah. They're almost never going to say it like that. They're going to, they're going to say, you know, dad, I got this friend at school and this friend said, said something about friend B and friend C said, and then friend D said, what do you think about that? Dad? Hey, don't be confused. Dad. He just asked you a theology question. Yep. Yep. He just asked you a doctrinal question and it is about gossip. It's about sowing and reaping. It's about our words and Ephesians 4.29. And are we using words to build up or tear down? He just asked a doctrinal theological question. And you'd better be ready to give him an answer that is better than because I said so. And you better be ready to give him an answer that is biblical. And you better be so biblical it's boring because they know your answer ahead of time. So, guys, so the next tool is this. Uh, the next tool, uh, it, it runs with other two and I, I think this is so important that guys learn to hear the voice of God as God leads them. Tool number three is pray fervently. For the godly dad, you know this, and I'll just remind you, and, and both it's both encouraging and convicting. Um, if, if your kids do turn out to love God and they do end up at a place where they have a walk with Jesus that you like and that you guys can can uh, have that shared bond in Christ, it will be because God did that and his Holy Spirit led your child. It won't be because you were such a perfect dad because uh, I know two things are true. One is you're not a perfect dad. And secondly, even if you were, so was God and his own children in the Garden of Eden rebelled. Yep. So evidently, perfect fatherhood isn't the yep. answer. Philippians 4, 6, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then I challenge you, I'm not even going to tell you, go read Philippians 4-7 and you'll see the promise, the promise that comes behind the praying man. And it is not everything works out just like you wanted it to. But if we pray, if we pray, there is something that we get. Go check it out. Uh, Philippians four six. And I'm seven. not going to be a spoiler. I'll I'll keep my mouth shut. So so <laughs> in your book you continue you say uh, in transitioning to tool number four you're not built father to go through this alone. Forces are waging war against you, which I think is a great statement. For you have the tool of building relationships. You'll need to head these relationship killers off at the pass. And I think guys don't realize this because our default is actually isolation. But tool number four is building relationships. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, one thing I was really grateful for in that I had this job that took me to some different parts of the world, not all over the world, but different parts enough where I started to see some other cultures and how they process family, how they process work, how they process their priorities. And it's not that it was better or worse than America. It's just different. Mm -hmm. 
And what I did find that's very interesting is I did for the first time start to see some differences in kind of philosophies mm-hmm. of approach to life, <clears throat> whether it's more individualistic or more communal, hmm. more individualistic yeah. or communal. And I think, I think no, no one would really argue deeply that the Western American kind of mindset is a, is more individualistic. Yeah. It's more Marlboro man, you know, bootstraps. I did it. I'm the success. Look at me. Uh, and I, and I think that we, we, uh, we aggrandize that we, we bless that we celebrate that, you know, guy who came from nowhere and made it out of nothing and all that. <clears throat> and I see in other cultures around the world, more of a communal approach. Um, and I think that just represents the relative, uh, imma- immaturity is the wrong word, youngness of the American culture. Sure. Right? We're a couple hundred years sure. old. Some of these other cultures are a few thousand years old and they've kind of figured that out that going it alone is extremely dangerous Going it alone is extremely dangerous. God wants us to be in community. And and guys, listen, if you're listening to this, and I, I hope you know, I, I bet no one's going to argue with us, Jim, that living in community is healthy and it's biblical. Yeah. What most guys are going to miss, what most guys are going to miss is that the reason that they don't is because they're trying to compete with every man they meet all of the stupid time. They walk into the meeting and they're going to compete for who gets to talk the most. They go on the school board and they're going to compete for who gets to be chairman of the school board. They go to a cocktail party and they're they're going to compete for whose job is more interesting than who else's job or inversely, who's got a worse boss than everybody else's boss is worse or guys, guys, you're not going to find biblical community in the midst of competition with every other man on earth. That's grow. That up. is so powerful. And, and well, as you're speaking, Kent, I hit, it hit me. We, you said this earlier, if I want to pass through the four stages, right, the four stages of the manhood journey, if I want to pass through those faster, I'm accelerated through the stages by virtue of my relationships. They will either stagnate me or they will accelerate me. And so this is so important. We just need to have, you know, it's really funny. When I was a young guy in in ministry, I was in my 26 to 32 years old in the church, man, the old guys in my church, you know, they were our age, Kent, in their 50s, 60s, right? They hammered me, hammered me. And I I mean, it was like exhausting how much I was corrected. But I look back on those formative years and I thought, those are some of the greatest years of my life. And those guys propelled me and compelled me to be the father and husband that I am today. And uh, that's, that's, and yeah. then now at this age, I don't have those older guys doing that. So what I have to do is I find guys who are my peers who have the cojones to to spur me on, right? So it, it does shift as we yeah. get older. I go from guys who are rebuking me to guys who need to spur me and I spur them and co-sharpening. So that which is which kind of leads to the next spot. You know, we think, okay, I've got these things. You know, I'm a, I trust God, I read the Bible, I pray, I've got other relationships. But really, we often look at those relationships as self-serving, like they help me, but there's something deeper that has to happen. And this is tool number seven, and then about two notes, oh, sorry, tool number five. And about tool number five, you say, when we serve out of duty, we're doing it begrudgingly. We do it because we have to. When we're serving from a place of devotion, we are serving because we care about the other person. So talk to me about tool number five, serving others. Yeah, and let's up the ante. We have duty, where we serve because we have to. Then we have devotion, and we serve because we choose to, we care. Then there's a, there is a step above that, and it's just, we serve out of delight. Ah. In the book of Hebrews, it says, it says for the joy set before yep. him, Jesus endured the cross. It didn't say so he could get it over with after all. He, I'm sure he didn't want it to happen, but for the joy set before him. So here's the question, man. Are you serving? Question number one. Question number two, from what kind of motive? Yeah. Because you have to, because you choose to, or because you get to, and you see it as a golden opportunity. And I vacillate every day <laughs> between all three of those yeah. uh, reasons. I don't make, I don't really make the bed out of uh, delight because I just get to, boy, I just can't wait to wake up in the morning and make the bed. I do it because I know it's a blessing to my wife. Okay. That's not bad, but there's a step above that where actually serving becomes my source of joy. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think there's a point, Kent, where you know it says, you know, a take on the attitude of Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, 5, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the nature of a servant. And I do believe there comes a point in a man's life as he passes through those stages, the tour guide really is a servant. He's a servant. And so oh, yeah. you get to a point in your journey where it becomes natural and joyful. And I think that that's what guys need to head towards. But let's be honest, Kent. A lot of these guys listening are saying they're Christians. And this is the part of the issue when guys yawn, when they say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't need to trust God. So I want to go to state to tool number six. And I think it's funny that you call this a tool because it's a kingdom tool. And, and, and guys, listen. I get a lot of guys who say, "Oh, I don't go. I don't go to church, but my family, we love Jesus." And I go, "Okay, who are you giving your money to?" Huh? I think stewardship is who are you stewarding? Who's getting your talents? Who's getting your time? Who's getting your dollars? Talk to us about stu- uh, tool number six: stewarding your resources. <clears throat> well, we'd often think of stewardship, and you talked about it at the top of the show, where you talked about some of your finance books you've been reading yeah. this year. Uh, we often think of stewardship as a money issue, and it is a big-time money issue. I would say let's widen our lens just a bit and look at stewardship as an issue of any resource you've been given, and what do you do with that resource? So let's talk about some of the top few, right? Money, uh, time. You may not have thought of this, but your own health. Oh, yeah. Um, relate Relationships. relationships. Uh, if you have a relationship, it, it is it is not for you. 1 Peter 4.10, 1 Peter 4.10 says, whatever gift you've been given, use that gift to serve. And then it goes on to say basically that God's grace will be manifest in its various forms. So I have a friend in Cincinnati, his name is Jim, and he is one of these guys who's like, you know that old like six degrees from Kevin Bacon kind of thing where you just have a couple things, <laughs> everybody's connected at some level. This guy, Jim, is like, the fifth degree of everybody like he just he, he knows he knows everybody and um there have been a time or two where i've said hey jim could you open a door for me and he's like instantly and almost before i'm done asking the question there's an email connecting me with somebody else and i thought man there are guys out there who understand that this is an age reference their rolodex is not their rolodex Yes. You know, you know all those people you know? You know all those people you know? Guess what? God knew them first. And you know why you have them in your Rolodex? Is because someday somebody you know is going to need to know that guy you know. Connect the dots. And so, like, as we look at stewarding our resources, it's anything we have in our left hand that God gave us. And what do we do with it in our right hand? And I, for one, am trying to grow in this area where I go, golly, what else do I have? You know, I got this binder. I got this booklet. I got this Yeti. I got this friend. You know, what do I have that I can somehow steward because none of it's mine? You know, like I'm holding it up on the camera now. This Yeti is one of my favorite coffee mugs. Is it my Yeti? Is it really? No, it's God's Yeti. <laughs> and so I get to drink out of it for a few years. The question is, how do we steward our resources, mainly time, money, energy, relationships? Are we stewarding those well? Well, that's funny, Kent, because I think that uh, you model uh, that that connectedness of your Rolodex. You are the guy who connects people. So you may not know that, but but uh, that talk in my circles and at CMM is Kent Evans knows everybody. So and and he's and he's willing to <laughs> hey I love and that he's willing to share and, hey, he's willing no. to share. <laughs> I, I love it I love it because you know it goes back to it goes back to the um, the principles we see in Scripture about the body of Christ is mm-hmm. like you you are, one of our listeners somebody listening to this is is trying to be everything. They're, they're trying to be the pinky, the eyeball, the left ear, the big toe, Sergeant Hulka. Thank you for the stripes reference. They're trying to be everything to everybody. And here's the cool thing is I'm not everything to everybody. But what I think is really fun, I look at it almost like I like doing jigsaw puzzles. I'll be that guy. I will be that 80-year-old dude, 85-year-old dude if I'm still alive in the nursing home who shuffles down, puts like four pieces in the jigsaw and then goes and gets some, you know, mashed potatoes for lunch. I love jigsaw puzzles. And for me, personal relationships are like a big giant jigsaw puzzle. Um, Just in the last three weeks, well, last six weeks, I have met one guy in Florida who's working on a book project. And then I've met another guy in Pennsylvania who's working on like a project based on like a farm idea, long story. 
those two guys are they're like they're skating toward the exact same spot on the ice they don't know each other and i can't wait to connect them it's just going to be a blast because god's up to something much bigger than me and i think it's fun when i get to play traffic cop i think it's well a blast. last week we had patrick tyndall from iron what's it called iron man Op- iron man outdoors we had Iron Man we had outdoors, him on our yeah. show, and you were the guy that said, "Hey guys, I see you guys skating towards the same place on the ice, and uh, knowing that we can't do that, we were going to crash on the ice." But uh, it was a great interview, and so <laughs> so I think that we need to understand how important it is to hold everything that God has given us with an open hand and care for it deeply. And so the last tool in our toolbox, guys, which really goes back to tool number one, do you trust God? At tool number seven, you wrote, the godly dad makes disciples. And you talked about two places where that guy does it. So tool number seven is making disciples. Can you unpack that for us, Kent? Yeah, and I think, you know, I want to be careful with the theologians out there. I understand the word make. It's not mine. I get the ecclesiology of it all, but... My intention, my intention is, as Jesus said in the Great Commission, right, go make disciples. And so my intention is first, first, do everything I can, which I understand my limits. I understand my limits. Do everything I can to make disciples in my home, in my home. My primary job is not to get my kids into a good college, find them a good wife, teach them how to manage their money, change a tire, tie a bow tie. That is not my primary job. My primary job is to have them fall in love with Jesus Christ and serve him till they die. I can't control that. I cannot control that. But I can do everything that I can do to try to make that happen. And I know some really good, godly men. In fact, I'm going to be on a a podcast next week with the folks at Pioneer Bible Translators, and we're going to be talking about uh, 1 Samuel, I think, 2, when it talks about um, uh, Eli and his disrespectful and apostate sons. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about uh, what happens in those kind of prodigal sort of moments. So if, if there's a dad listening, and you've, you've done what you know to do, and your your son or daughter is not walking in the Lord. Man, my heart breaks for yeah. you, and I feel yep. for you. And I want you to know, I want you to know we're, we're, we're praying for you, and we're, gonna, we're praying for that, that child's return. Like, I, I hope that you get that joyous reunion this side of heaven on earth. Having said that, uh, you, you know, we can all look back. So I want to make disciples in my home. I want to be able to look back on my own home and say, did I try? Did I, was that my, was that my intention? Or was I trying, just trying to make future CEOs or future, you know, straight A students? Um, and then I want to make disciples outside of my home. And for me, a lot of guys get this backward. Um, you know, they're the hero of the men's group. They're the hero of the Bible study. They're the hero of bowling night. They're the hero of all that stuff. And I remember reading circle maker by Mark. Oh, Patterson. Yeah. Uh-huh. He said, I want to be, he, he said, I want to be famous in my own home. And I thought, ah, oh! What a great line. Like, I, and I know what he meant. I know what he meant. He was just saying, I don't want to get it out of order. I don't want to get out of order. My old pastor, former pastor, Bob Russell, he, when I was coming into manhood journey, he goes, Kent, remember, remember your own family is your first ministry. Don't forget it. Uh, and it was great well, and, advice. And Kent, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, you say famous in your own home and Christian men get weird about that. What we tell men is you are the hero in the story. Now, we understand that Jesus is the hero, but Jesus has put you in the midst of your story and said, lead your family up the mountain. And so, guys, you're the, that's why we call our stories hero stories, because, man, there's so many zeros in this world. It's just so encouraging to have some guys who are heroes in their story. So, Kent, I really appreciate you, man, and your booklet. Now, earlier I referred to a... Uh, an assessment I took of yours where it ranked me in one of all, you know, the four stages. So not only did it rank me, but it gives me tools to walk through each of these seven, these seven tools. It gives me tools for each of these seven uh, areas based on the stage that I test out in. And I think that is really cool. Would you be willing as a a boots on the ground for our guys to give them a link address to that assessment it'd be my pleasure and here's what i hope a dad sees if you go if you go to manhoodjourney.org forward slash assessment just go to manhoodjourney.org forward slash assessment and i would spell it out but it starts with ass and it sounds bad on radio (laughs) manhoodjourney.org forward slash assessment okay uh if you go there here's what you're going to end up with you're going to end up with a 10 to 15 minute exercise that will help you know kind of where you are on your fatherhood journey where you are 
in terms of the four stages and these seven different areas. And we hope, we hope what's even better is it will not only tell you where you are, it'll tell you, here's something you could do at your stage, very specific. You're going to land on a, a web page when you're all done. And that web page is custom built based on your answers. And it's going to give you some resources that will help you based on right where you are right this minute. And then what we hope is even better is over the next seven or eight weeks, we're going to send you some additional free resources by email uh, once you go through the assessment process that will help you dive into these seven areas. Because what we want you to do is we want you to be a dad who can live and lead confidently with no regrets, who understands that your job is to help be the disciple maker in your home and leave all of the other stuff up to God and the working of his Holy Spirit. Man, I appreciate that, Kent. And guys, you can also pick up his book online. It is free there on the website, Survival Gear. It'll kind of walk you through the steps we covered in this podcast. So, Kent, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, brother. And thank you so much, man. Hey, it's my pleasure. Men in the Arena, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much to you, Jim, and to you, Dale. I appreciate you guys big time. Man, we appreciate you, brother. Dale, drive us home. Man, head on over to menintherena.org and pick up your free copy of Jim's book and also leave us a review. You can do that one of two ways, through your podcast app, or you can email us at menintherena.org. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.